Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And in a week when retailers have enjoyed a boost in sales thanks to those Black Friday deals that have been capturing our attention, and Manchester City Football Club post a record £535.2 million revenue for their 2018-19 annual reports, the Society to Protect Apostrophes closed down. Oh, yeah. it's a sad day. It is a sad, sad day. Um, uh, and I've really enjoyed seeing that story being reported on with headlines that have as many apostrophes used in as many different <laughs> possible ways um, as possible. But our topical discussion this week is about a subject that is is quite close to both our hearts, really, yes. because... Um, you so currently do it. I currently do I it. I have done, done it. Quite a uh, bit in the past. And who knows whether... Might do it, it again, again in the future. Yes. yes. We're talking about freelancing. Uh, the number of freelancers in the UK has been steadily increasing year on year from 2002 there were around 3.3 million of us uh, and now in 20 at, at the end of 2018 there were 5 million um so it's it's a ma- it's it's a steady increase uh and we've talked a lot about gig economies um zero contract hours all those types of things but actually freelancing is quite a lonely Quite yeah. a lonely role. I think it is, it's important to differentiate it from the gig economy. It, it's generally freelancers, the, the population of freelancers is made up of professionals, uh, skilled people working in a particular field um, as, a, as opposed to working for another company or, or, or slotting into another company. They're tending to work just on their own with their own particular yeah. professional skill. Yeah, exactly. And and a big thing um, is, is the IR35. Um, Some confusion. Yeah. Not least because everybody, all the political parties are talking about changing it anyway. Well, at the moment, yes. And, and, and that identifies, I think, that they've recognised that it's, it is a bit of a blooming nightmare. I mean, the admit, administrative burden on freelancers anyway is horrendous. Uh, you know, and a lot of freelancers will spend a certain percentage of their time doing um, their, their actual job and a large chunk of their time working on the administration that's required for it. It's it's When you're bearing in mind how much a freelancer might charge you, don't forget that they're not just doing that professional work for you. There's all the other stuff that's um, involved uh, and actually having a company, essentially, and all of the constraints that go with that. And very few of the benefits. <laughs> yeah, well, none of the benefits. You know, you're not protected in any way, shape or form. You don't have any, um, you don't get paid sickness, etc. But um, but one of the reasons why, uh, so freelancers are in high demand in the UK. And there are a few reasons why. So very often um, in, in organisations, they're very much looking at headcount. Uh, and so what you know what is the headcount if we can keep the headcount low and bring in freelancers to deliver some of the things that once upon a time you might have had a department for um then it it, it looks better on the bottom line um and freelancers might get used if there is um if there's a specific project or you know peak of activity um so so um people might say right okay let's buy in that expertise um it might that extra resource. It might be that they're looking for additional expertise. Um, it might be to speed things up. 
that you know they need to they need to deliver something in a sh- in a short space of time uh, and also inject fresh thinking you know sometimes people get so um ring fenced within an organization that sometimes you want a fresh pair of eyes to look at a, a given situation uh so that's that's some of the reasons why people might use freelancers but but why might we freelance why why do we freelance tracy uh, typically um for flexibility and um being able to pick some of the best projects you you can earn more can earn more money um it's i think sometimes it there is some confusion thinking that freelancers are only doing it because they haven't got a full-time job and actually i I checked up the stats here the average freelance worker works 47 hours a week remember that isn't all billable time some of that will be doing all of the regulatory returns and admin that they need to do I like freelancing because um, quite a bit of the work that I did was um, based around having kids, so I could choose my hours and flexibility was really important. Um, But also I I like being able to to move between projects as well. Yeah, so you don't get... Yeah, you don't get I don't bored. get bogged down. And I think that brings the value to those companies that you were talking about. So they do get a different perspective from a different company, from outside their um, industry sector. And, and sometimes that can add value as well. Um, but, you know, th- there are some issues with being a freelancer. Um, and obviously that's, you know, to do with managing your finances. You already mentioned you don't get sick pay, you don't get your holiday pay. Um, I saw a figure that said that 55% of self-employed people don't actually have a pension. Right, OK. And that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, with You know, a lot of the people that I know, you, you're just making enough money um, to to fund your lifestyle and that pension planning does come tend to come a little bit later but one of the biggest issues that i picked up on is is the um people expecting work for free from freelancers particularly creative freelancers but i think it applies to us all doesn't it and and you you know the story where the the creative is asked to do something for exposure yeah Yeah. exposure doesn't pay the bills there there was a report done in 2017 by the association for independent professionals where they estimated that a a freelancer with an average of seven years experience can expect to um um, give out free work to the value of about five thousand pounds a year i've got a feeling that the pressure is on you to do more than that yeah, I think I certainly think that when I first started, so I've been freelancing for 10 years now. And when I first started, then, yes, you, the pressure was was massive. And and at that point, I would give stuff away for free to raise my profile. What happens now is that because I have a reputation, there will be people who come to me wanting stuff for free because I have a profile. Yeah. And so then I have to find myself saying no. So yeah. so there's there's one thing giving it away, but there's quite another being asked for it for free. Yeah. And and, and it, well, it's not easy to say no. Sometimes. In the same article I read, they say you should a company should never ask a freelancer to do professional work if they're going to gain from it, which is one thing. But they also pointed out that you wouldn't go and ask a plumber to do your work no, for free. No. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And And I I did find that um, New York, there is some legislation in New York called Freelance Isn't Free Act. And it's a local law. It was introduced in 2017. And that is protection for the freelancer. So it gives freelancers the right to a written contract 
timely and full payment and protection from retaliation, presumably if you're complaining about somebody not having paid. So right. just that little local oh. law in New York is sort of leading the way there. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I, f- I found a really interesting site called freelanceuk.com, um, be- uh, which is an absolute wealth of blog posts and information and signposting into all sorts of things. There are news items, um, there's stuff about regulations. A really interesting article about freelancing in 2020 um, and, you know, how to get ready for, for the coming year. And the two things that are facing freelancing in the UK, one is IR35, which is the thing that we've already mentioned. And that is where um, if you're doing work as a freelancer, you're doing the bulk of your work for a, one company. It's whether or not you're deemed to actually be employed by that organisation. And so where the boundaries shift now there's a change with ir35 in that once upon a time the onus was on you as an individual to demonstrate that you weren't employed by that organization whereas now the onus is being put on the organization so it's up to them to do their due diligence to check that they are not your main client to the extent where they could be deemed to be your employer so i think that's an interesting one and then of course the b word um you you know is going to have a massive who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, a no-deal Brexit or, or a deal Brexit will have different implications. But um, but essentially, um, the, the, the IR35 thing is, is the, I see, is the biggest risk because if, when that legislation change comes in, they may decide that they don't want to use you anymore. Yeah, that's a lot of too your complicated eggs. for yeah. a company yeah. to to do all of that due diligence, yeah. so they decide not to. Yeah, just let's yeah let's just forget it. So it's about it's about um, all, having all your eggs in one basket, which is never a good thing to do. So if you are a freelancer, that's something that you probably need to um, to revisit and, and think about your strategy for twenty twenty. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM, and we're looking at other news that we've spotted this week. I saw an article in People Management which uh, got my attention. When does healthy workplace debate turn into a potential discrimination claim? Oh, well, there you go. That's well, kind of and it's it caught my eye particularly because it was talking about um, people discussing politics. And although it remains sensible for a company, an organisation to remain apolitical, then it's rather unrealistic to expect your employees to do the same. And did you know that employers have a duty to foster a workplace free of bullying, harassment and discrimination? So at what point do you get involved in a political debate discussion? At what point does it become bullying, harassment or discrimination? It's not an easy one to answer. However, the advice... um, that's given in this article is that you need to remind your staff of their personal responsibilities to each other and if you have them um, or if you haven't got them write them now uh, dignity or respect at work policies which you can point them towards which outlines what is and what isn't acceptable workplace behavior because you don't want to stifle conversations and debate but you also want to stop it tipping over into discrimination and harassment and it's a really fine line it's been tested in the law courts 
on numerous occasions and the law will always change. And there are even questions as to whether somebody's political views can constitute a philosophical belief, which then become protected under the Equality Act 2010. So in order for something to be considered philosophical belief, it must be genuinely held a belief and not opinion or viewpoint based on the present state of information available, be a belief as to a weighty and substantial aspect of human life and behaviour, attain a certain level of cogency, seriousness, cohesion and importance, and be worthy of respect in a democratic society and not incompatible with human dignity or in conflict with the fundamental rights of others. And any suggestion of less favourable in treatment by an employer because of their political views, which could be termed as philosophical beliefs, I'm sure um, you can see would be open to challenge in the courts. So the advice here is for employers to take a risk-averse approach to what's emerging here. It's it's not set in stone yet. There's very much emerging law. Um, but they should show that they've taken reasonable steps to prevent a, a claim under the Equality Act. So perhaps running workshops on dignity and respect at work and the personal responsibilities of your employees um, maybe even you know getting them to evidence that they've they've done this training and that they understand their responsibilities more importantly be aware of what's happening in your workplace and follow up on anything that you think is inappropriate because a lot of those things i mean the definition of belief is a really interesting one you know that's quite hard to quantify yeah um it's not an opinion it's a belief where do, where does the one start and where does the other um begin um and then the other thing is it a lot of that it comes down to oh it was just banter it's just yeah. banter. You know, you can have banter about And the context of the conversations mm. is key. And that and that's where the courts come into it. Mm. That you know, it's it's very difficult to say there's one particular rule that fits all because the context and how it said what might be banter in one workplace is completely unacceptable in another. Mm. We talked last week about swearing in the workplace, yeah. didn't we? And yeah. and how common that was in certain jobs. Yeah. But in other places that would be completely unacceptable. In, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm just going to go back to the whole um, apostrophe protection society. I just I just, <laughs> you know, it is it's one of those things where you know, you're walking down the street and you see misuse of an apostrophe. Um, it might be on sign writing. It, it bugs some people and not others. Yes. It? Some bugs people, me. Yeah, it bugs me. It bugs me. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a nightmare for typos. I'm like, hang on, you know, potatoes and tomatoes and, all, you know, yeah. all the different ways of spelling these things. Um, but the Apostrophe Protection Society would actually write to people and say, do you know that you, you know, your, your, your shop front... Um, Oh, they'd actually point it out. It's incorrect use of the apostrophe. I mean, over 12 years, run by a guy who's in his 80s now. He announced that he was going to close it. But, of course, I did what everybody else did and went to their website. Just to check. <laughs> Just to check. And, check and, his grammar. And there on the website, it says um, that John Richards has announced that he's closing the Apostrophe Protection Society. Since the announcement, this site has had a 600-fold increase in traffic, <laughs> which is proving expensive. So we've decided to close it until the new year. When it returns, webmaster John Hale intends to keep the site running for a few more years. I just thought that was brilliant you know it, it, it's a classic example of something you've never really heard of saying we're going away and people go oh hang on a minute what, what, what is that <laughs> so a great marketing ploy um 
second story that, that I picked up on is one that um, I think has an impact on the high street, certainly. It's, it's Barclays Bank. Um, they've reversed their plan, um, which was to prevent customers withdrawing cash through the post office network. Um, they, they, um, I know that my mother-in-law, in particular elderly lady, that's a nightmare. When is, well, how is she going to get cash? Because there isn't a Barclays Bank in her local town. What was that part of the plan? You just can't have your money. <laughs> you just can't have your money, yeah. So then how is she going to get cash? Therefore, how is she going to spend that cash in the local high street? You know, how's all that going to work? Um, so the cash economy, I know it's dwindling. It's still there. But there it's still necessary yeah. for a lot of people. So they've been lobbied by um, various MPs and various agencies that are involved with um people who, who still live in a very cash-rich um, uh, mechanism and they have disclosed that they, um, they're they not going to implement this from January. So um, so there should still be cash flowing on the high street for those who, um, who, bar- who bank with Barclays. It's not easy to say. What else you got, Tracy? I've got some guidance from ACAS. It's that time of year. So they're putting out their guidance for employers on workplace issues over winter months. So you may want to read this. Adverse weather, although at the moment it looks like it's warming up a little bit. Mm. Um, Things you need to consider. Employees are not automatically entitled to pay if they're unable to get to work. But you need to have a clear policy so that employees know exactly what you expect from them. Um, They encourage you to be as flexible as possible. You know, can they possibly work from home? And essentially make sure everything's clear to avoid conflict in the event of adverse weather um, causing issues for your employees. There's advice on flu and colds and what it means to employers um, to have an increase in the number of employees off sick. Um, Holiday entitlements, um, if you get a flurry of holiday requests for Christmas and New Year. Reminder that there's no statutory entitlement to paid leave for public holidays, but you are legally entitled to 5.6 weeks of paid annual leave. The bank holidays aren't written into that. That's just part of the 5.6 weeks. And then uh, some advice on well-being in the workplace. Obviously, Christmas and the wintertime can exacerbate some conditions for people such as stress and depression. And it's encouraging employers to... um, to keep an eye out for troubled employees Um, and I think there is an awful lot of material available for employers at the moment to support their employees with mental health issues. ACAS has got a lot of stuff on their website and also MIND as well and I've had the packs from MIND and they are spot on. So um, if you've got any questions about um, what to do over the winter then go and take a look at the ACAS website not only have they got all of their guidance booklets they've also got their helpline as well mm, sound advice there sound advice um, I just picked up one one story for uh, about small businesses it was in Business Matters magazine um, and the headline was small businesses ramp up eco-friendly offering in response to consumer demand um, they're suggesting that uh, small businesses have seen a 57 57% of small businesses surveyed reported that they'd seen an increase in customers demanding an eco-friendly offering and that certainly seems to be true you know we're hearing a lot about I went to Morrison's the other day and they've got paper bags for their fruit and veg. Um, I went to Sainsbury's the other day and they're selling reusable sort of muslin-y, nylon-y yeah. bags yeah. that you can put your fruit and veg in and then um, and then re- you know, bring, like you bring your 
like you carry remember. a bag. Like, yeah, I know. Mm. That is the only challenge with these things. But um, but it certainly seems Good. to be, you know, increasing that people go, okay, you know, where are the paper straws? Where are the reusable cups? You know, what about single-use plastic? How are we going to change this? Uh, I think it's... Is it Morrison's that have stopped or are going to stop using black... You know that black plastic you yes, buy a ready meal yeah. that isn't recyclable? They're going to stop using that. You know, Because if it was foil, you can recycle that. Yeah. So, you know, why isn't it? If it was cardboard, sometimes it's, you can recycle that. Yeah. As long as it's recyclable cardboard, of course. So, um, so I think, it, yeah, it just was interesting that... Um, that small businesses are actually seeing and, and actively getting involved in this. It's not just the big boys. Um, and I think that's only going to increase over the coming years. So all of the links to um, the things we've been talking about will be available on our website together with a podcast version of the show. That means we've taken the music out for copyright reasons. And that's at our website, thebusiness.community. For our discovery section this week, I've got something that... that I think is amazing. I was I was at a networking meeting uh, last Thursday, and um, there was a speaker who was a, a police officer, and he was introducing an initiative that West Mercia Police have brought in, which is called We Don't Buy Crime, and it's aimed at um, different communities within the West Mercia area at the moment. But I would hope that it would be something that would be rolled out to other police forces uh, around the country. Uh, and I think it's worthy of a mention. Now, we've we've all heard of smart water, um, you know, this the, the stuff that you can use to mark your personal belongings oh, yeah. that has an absolutely unique DNA specific only to that tube of smart water. And then um, what then happens is uh, if something is stolen or is on the the black market for want of a better word then um they can scan it and they can see they can trace that it's come from your house because they know where on the smart water database who it belongs to so that's great for for just people to protect their own equipment but the thing that really caught my eye was the mention of stuff that um people take to shops like um uh, Bright House or um, cash converters, things like that. Uh, so those people, if you run an organisation where people bring stuff, you give them money and then you sell it, if anything is identified as being having smart water on it, you lose that stock. You, it's So you've now paid out to somebody and you have got nothing, so you're down on the deal massively. So it's uh, in your interest to check. Before. It's in your interest. And a lot of things that they were talking about, um, you know, around um, at fuel stations, you know, having um, fuel thefts and, and uh, initiatives that they put in place to stop people who are um, victims of exploitation, criminal exploitation. So this whole thing, it's not just about... Mrs. Biggins putting a mark on her antique clock in case it gets stolen. It's looking at when businesses are the victims of crime and how they can protect themselves. So it's um, they also have a covert team that goes out into the community and starts to look at what's going on, certainly with county lines, uh, you know, drugs, etc. So um, it's worth looking at. It's West Mercia Police. Um, cms.westmercia.police.uk forward slash we don't buy crime 
I think it's a really interesting initiative and it's certainly something that if you're outside of the West Mercia police area, I'd be I'd be wanting to um, to suggest to my local police force that they might bring something in. What have you got, Tracy? Okay, I was contacted by Jackie Whitaker from Bangor Business School this week and she wanted to spread the word about some leadership training that's taking place in Wrexham, although it's delivered by Bangor Business School, it's actually been delivered in Wrexham in February next year, starts on the 25th of February, and there is still funding available for this. So it's the CMI level three to four for managers, supervisors, team leaders. Okay. And it's... uh, it's a great little program. She even sent me the um, the details of uh, what's in each week. And I'm thinking, oh, I quite like the sound of that. So workshop one is leadership and management. Workshop two is business innovation, creativity and marketing. Workshop three is coaching and engagement. Workshop four is making a difference in the workplace. Um, number five is managing finance. And number six is efficiency, action planning and performance managing. It looks like a great little course. It's at, as I say, a funded cost. It's valued at £4,000. But after funding, you could get it for £1,200 if you're an SME or £1,800 if you're a larger organisation. So it's over three months. And the aim is to build leadership capabilities, either for you or for your employees. If you've got some new leaders or some people that you've got earmarked that you want to become leaders, mm-hmm. it, it's a great starting point. I think the CMI programmes in leadership are, are highly thought of yeah. as well, aren't they? Um, it helps them to, to deal with managing other people, so being able to look at the common performance issues and dealing with conflict, how to manage change, you know, not an easy thing to do so you know at at least if you get an introduction to that there you'll be a lot better off than a lot of people in the workplace and it's look you know even if you're not working in these areas so it says it touches on marketing and managing finance actually it's good for a leader to have an understanding of all the different areas even if they're not an expert in that area and then finally looking at innovation strategies. And again, even if your leaders are, you know, sort of new team leaders or supervisors and they're not involved in strategy, it can help them to understand the corporate strategy, the bigger picture that they're they're actually working in. So I think it's really worth considering. I've heard feedback on the Bangor Business School courses and, and it is uh, excellent. So it's really worth exploring. If you're interested, um, it starts 25th of February, but if you can um, take yourself to the website, which is 2020 Leadership. Now, that's two zero and then 20 spelt out. So 2020 okay. and then 20-T-W-E-N-T-Y, Leadership. No spaces, no um, punctuation in between any of those, .org. You can also find a link for that on the Bangor University website, which is bangor.ac.uk. I can't help but feel that we should have uh, copyrighted the term 2020 because I think it's it's going to be 2020 everything, <laughs> isn't it, next year? It's, Do you think you'd have got away with it? I don't Heather? know. Well, it's worth a try, isn't it? <laughs> but what, after next year, then it'll be irrelevant, won't it? But maybe copyright 2021. Yeah, let's do 22. the whole lot. Like people used to just <laughs> register loads of web addresses, didn't they? Yeah. In let's, case somebody... Let's get all the dates. Yes, all the... <laughs> forever (laughs) you you haven't got this desire to take over the world by any chance Heather no no I'll leave that to somebody else
So this week, uh, Heather's um, suggested we... <laughs> I'm going to blame you. We research some re- recluses, uh, which, which makes, <laughs> makes our research slightly difficult. If I say reclusive twins, you might already know that we're talking about Sir David Barclay and Sir Frederick Barclay, born in October 1934. They're best known for their real estate and hotel portfolio. They are not connected to Barclays Bank. No. Um, They're identical twins. Um, They own London's Ritz, although um, the stories are that they're readying it for sale at the moment. Um, And they've sold hospitality group Maybourne, which um, held a luxury hotel, you might know it, called Claridge's. Um, They started work together in uh, an accounts department in General Electric. And then, then it's quite a story. We've been trying to follow it and trying to follow the money, but we haven't got There's a chance. There's a few bankruptcies along the way. Yeah. It's hard to actually put your finger on. But essentially, it looks like they moved into houses and hotels and property and then spreading their investments around a number of different businesses and presumably got lucky on some of those their business interests currently include the telegraph newspaper group which like the ritz is uh, is being prepared for sale um they're also um owners of um shop direct and they live together in a mansion on the english channel island of breku i think that's how you yeah, pronounce I it spell, it's a strange spelling and have it. significant investments on the neighboring island of sark more of that later. Heather, thank you for suggesting the Barclay Brothers. Uh, I'm going to have to think of something equally tough for another week. What did you manage to squirrel out about these two eccentric twins? Well, apart from the fact that they're absolutely minted, I mean, they're deemed to be worth uh, $5 billion. That, according to... um, Sunday Times Rich List. Well, it's a website actually called Real Time Net Worth. So oh. they must have access to their bank accounts and they're, <laughs> as they're accruing interest. You'd think, yeah. It, yeah, it's uh, it's sticking along. Um, but yes, the Sunday Times Rich List also es- estimates their wealth at £3 billion. Pounds. Yeah, which they're, they're, I mean, they are truly identical. Um, and they're, they're a bit of an enigma, really, because I think it is the fact that so little is known about them that I find them really fascinating. They tend to interact with the world through lawyers as well. Yeah. So we have to be careful about what and how we say it, presumably. Yeah. Oh, crikey, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of the show. So, so we better not say anything more. Um yeah, they, they own a shipping line, Elliman Lines. They've owned Brewers. Uh, they owned Yodel. Well, let's go right the way back to the beginning. Painters and decorators, it's really. Yeah. And a tobacconist and confectioners. Yep. And then um, they went into a state agency. Yeah. And, and, well, they started, yeah, they I think one of them, so they started buying up old boarding houses in London and, and turning them into hotels. Now, the word hotel in that context is probably not the same as the Ritz, yeah. Dorchester. You know, it's not those t- Claridge's. It's not that sort of thing. Um, but and and what's really interesting? But one actually, of those went bankrupt. Sorry. So yeah, 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 yeah. But but I think also what's really interesting is that um, a lot of you know you start reading, I don't know, you start reading their their business career and it talks about you know. A, you know, by the end of the 1950s, they were running a tobacconist and confectioners, you know, and now here we are, 
you know, five billion pounds in. That's quite a journey. Yeah, fifty-four years. Um, yeah, they just. I, I just. I don't know how they've done it. <laughs> I think that's the thing. If only we knew. Well, um, a couple of the controversies that I found, um, obviously tax exile accusations, um, not been proven, but there you go. They did appear, um, I believe, in the uh, Paradise Papers. So make of that as you will. Uh, also, um, one of the controversies, I just did a Google, Barclay Brothers controversies, um, Sark and Brecu disputes. And um, one of the articles talks about how um, they actually owned most of the property and uh, um, businesses on Sark. And um, a fortnight before Christmas, a third of the working population of Sark were put out of business as they closed the businesses because of a dispute about government and governance on the island of Sark. OK, so you don't want to upset a Barclay brother? No. So apparently um, the islanders had rejected to their modernisation programme. I don't know whether their modernisation programme was good or not for the islanders. The, the story's either way. Um, however, they took their ball home. Yeah. And they closed the yeah. businesses. They didn't sell the businesses. They didn't sell the hotels as going concerns. They just mothballed them. Right, OK. OK, and so 140 people... Um, on an island with only 600 inhabitants were actually out of work and there was no welfare system available to them. So th there's a number of articles about that. There are articles about their support of Brexit and um, the Paradise Papers. And uh, when you're talking about Brexit, you may may well say, well, yeah, if, if they were in, found in the Paradise Papers, then yes, they would support Brexit. And that's the most I'm going to say on that subject they would wouldn't they <laughs> they would wouldn't they yes that there yeah. did you know that there's some new leg legislation out in january which is clamping down on tax evasion uh, it's been brought in by the european um legislative uh, oh really yes okay um and it's clamping down on banks accountants and law firms that facilitate offshore tax schemes in order to minimize tax avoidance structures mm. so read into that as you will one nice um, f fact that I, that I unearthed is that they they do give quite a lot of or have given quite a lot of money to charitable causes, um, which um, in fact that's the reason why they received their knighthood in 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 two thousand. Um, they apparently have donated almost forty million pound to charities and medical research. Now I don't know what medical research that means, but um, they're yeah. I'm kind of sorry that I um, kind of sorry that I suggested that. Do you know what it brings to mind? Though this is awful, and maybe the lawyers are listening. I think of two Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Oh yes, yeah, like twin Mr. Burns. Twin Mr. Burns, yes. <laughs> and the medical research in that case would be about prolonging their life. <laughs> yeah, because um, they're not. Well, so they're born in 1934. So what does that make them? Uh, 34. That's. 85. See how the accountant sat back and let you work that one out <laughs> yourself. <laughs> I haven't got a calculator with me. <laughs> anyway, they are an enigma. They are, they exist. I wonder what will happen with the newspaper. Um, and the Ritz. Put and an I wonder what will happen with the Ritz, yeah. It's valued at more than £800 million. Pounds. Wow. They say that they've, they've chucked £325 million pound into these organisations in the past 18 months. Um, getting them ready 
or saving them which one is saving it? them yeah and then, and then there's another chunk of money that's going to go into shop direct apparently so it looks like they'll have invested 500 million pounds and on the face of it anybody it's a bit like um, we when we were talking about uh, Branson Sir Richard Branson um you know they, they do chuck huge amounts of oh, no it was Jamie Oliver yeah they do they do chuck pots of money into these organizations but i don't know at what point you decide to pull the plug don't know Anyway, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, if you want to Google um, the Barclay Brothers, then uh, <laughs> let us know what if you can find anything that we You've haven't touched any upon. Any hot stories you any can share with stories. us. Any hot stories, yes. Um, and do tune in next week where we'll have more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.